everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk all about different sports, different training, and different ways to be a better, stronger athlete overall. I'm Molly Herford. I write about all things sort of fitness and outdoors related. And most recently, I'm back from a bikepacking trip in Arizona. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach. And I was just out west in on Vancouver Island for uh, Canada Cup, the first mountain bike race. Took a few juniors uh, or young athletes out. And uh, yeah, we raced that and went well for most of them. Some really good exposure to technical terrain and that West Coast, I guess, lifestyles. Maybe it's a lifestyle, mm. but the rocks and the roots and the sort of damp weather. But it was good. Really great trip. Yeah, and I hardly recognized you. It's It's been a few weeks. Well, with my West Coast lifestyle, I mm. now have a grizzly beard. I've been driving a large truck. If you uh, check out my Instagram, at Peter Glassford, you can check out the large 350 size, I won't say the brand, but large 350 size truck that made me look like a small child. Yes, also please comment on how grizzly his beard totally, definitely is in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It was weird. I, it was like quite an excessive truck, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I liked oh, it. Oh boy. We're not getting a new truck. Yeah, I think I would just like, it's so big. I think I would okay. feel like I would just en- crash Enough into with things. the big trucks. Enough with the big trucks. I actually was talking all about our, our lovely tiny Ford Transit Connect with a bunch of women. I did a talk last night here in know. New Jersey. and Do they want to buy it? They do not. Oh, okay. They do want to buy one, but not ours. Well, if we sold it, we could get a giant 350 truck. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, enough about the trucks. Um, Yeah, I was bikepacking in Arizona, so I think think I'm kind of unrecognizable, too. I've I've rediscovered some joy of cycling. Yeah, for someone who I propose going, like, to either, you know, a campsite, like, with, you know, basically cabins on bike. Hey, hey, that's not true. Okay, if I've, I've proposed bikepacking in the past and you've been completely opposed, but you've come back from this trip for some reason and now you're deciding you want to ride across North America. Hey, that's, you went from, that's, that's still super top secret. Like, f- beyond taking a boat and, like, around the world, you basically went from, like, zero to 100. Like, that is pretty much the definition of not doing it to doing, basically, the, the high end of it. Yeah, I guess. That's, like, from couch to, you know... World Cup racing or something. Couch to Olympics. Couch, couch to Ironman. There's a plan on training peaks for that. Mm. So why? Why like why should people be bikepacking? Uh, well, because they didn't have to go with you might be part of the reason. I guess. Let, let's all just point out for a second that we're both very type A, get from point A to point B people. And for us to be bike touring, my fear has always been that it's just going to be like a freaking hammer fest the entire time because we're both kind of jerks. So choosing your company is probably important for bikepacking. Yes. But so, why did you like bikepacking? Well, I was out with REI Adventures, so it was uh, it was kind of a good taste of bikepacking without being totally off, like off in the wilderness without any support. We had some support in the form of, you know, some excellent food and, you know, lovely people and stuff, but... I don't know, honestly. It was, we were in the desert. It was beautiful out. I was, you know, waking up at six in the morning to do yoga outside of my tent. And then we were, you know, hopping on the bikes at eight and, you know, just putting in like 50 miles, but on like crazy gravel and sand. And it just kind of reminded me of like the fun of getting on a bike when I was a kid. And that's a feeling I haven't really had in 
a very long time because I've never ridden as an adult for fun. I've ridden as an adult for training, if that makes sense. I mean, I enjoy riding. Don't get me wrong. I've based my career around it, but yeah, always with like a competitive spirit in mind, I guess. I think a lot of people come into it's probably the road and the tri side. Especially, like yeah. That, right? Because I think with mountain biking, we always have those fun rides and you know fall is definitely we just sort of screw around mostly I and mean, honestly we just screw around most of the time but well and i've said before i'm not at the point in mountain biking where every ride is super fun because i'm not as technically skilled well, so it's I still say, a challenge i think that's what i see is once people figure out like skidding and hopping over giant logs and stuff you start getting a bit more of that play element but it definitely is to get there is hard right where it's you're it's fun it's not like I'm hopping the biggest log I've ever hopped, and I'm, you know, this is a full body effort, full. Yeah, whereas bikepacking sort of actually turned out it appealed to my strong points, which are, you know, I'm weighed down by this really heavy bike, which means high cadence stuff is just not really a thing that you can do comfortably. Uh, so it was a lot of me pedaling in like a nice low RPM at like a pretty steady power, but well, that's sort of where and I'm I think it's at like best. that's traditional like a lot of studies but it's more often in normal people but you'll see like optimal cadence for long duration like 70 rpm type thing um plus or minus correct me if i'm wrong but um and you'll see like iron man often is tends to be at least historically a little lower rpm so i think that fits with your might explain my my sweet spot if you will <laughs> well which... i don't know if it's your cadence sweet spot I'm just trying to lead in very subtly there. Well, it's going to be quite a switch when we get there. Um, I was going to say, though, one more thing. Like, your point about the kids is, like, when I was younger, we used to always ride, like, down to the convenience store or to get to your friend's house, right? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, like, that was what I was always trying to get you into was, like, we'd ride, you know, whatever. Like, oh, he says this, just just throwing this out to the audience that loves hearing us fight. He says this, like, he's, like, shown up with, like, the bike panniers, like, pre-packed and ready to go and like has all these great adventures planned this has been discussed like five times <laughs> i definitely wouldn't use them unless we were actually bikepacking but uh, i just propose that we start i have an article about this that we'll link to um but you just start by riding to like a friend's house and as an adult you can your friend's house can be a little further away than it might have been Okay. In your youth. We can ride to a friend's house. So, yeah. So, I don't think there's much else going on. We're doing a couple clinics coming up in Toronto area. Um, you just did a talk last night here mm -hmm. in New Jersey. Um, you're finishing off yoga over the next month. That's going to be a big focus. Yep. I don't know if we have, do we have other events or... Oh, uh, yeah. I've got a talk in Barrie, Ontario in early May. I've got a talk at the uh, Rafa Cycle Club in New York in early May. Mm -hmm. um, probably a few more things kind of cropping up in there as well. Yeah, we have Collingwood Cycling Club, or not Collingwood Cycling Club, it's starting up too, so you should get your membership. It's the road club, but we're starting also a, a mountain bike club in Collingwood called Cork. You can check out the website, which I think is genius, cork.bike, so that's C-O-R-C dot bike. That is a website. Please use it, because Peter Peter really wants you to. I bought it specially, actually. <laughs> we actually have another website, but I don't know what it is. So no, It's a really long URL. Anyhow, that's fun on Thursdays, uh, toonies and sort of social rides, very fun atmosphere. So you can check that out there. We don't need to belabor that. Now, let's let's actually get into maybe what today's podcast is about. Yeah, really excited for today's guest. Uh, so today we have Frank Overton to talk all about sort of his background in cycling and everything, but also sweet spot training specifically. And I mean, a lot of you might recognize the name Frank Overton. Um, he's, you know, super well known in the field of cycling coaching. Well, he, he coached and coaches still, I believe, Phil Guyman, who we've mm -hmm. had on the podcast, and you've probably seen his YouTube and Strava antics. 
Um, so Phil was racing. He did Perry Roubaix and was on the Cannondale uh, Pro Tour team. Yeah, and I've run into Frank at cyclocross stuff, at Masters Nationals and stuff in the past. And he's definitely built a name for himself, um, sort of in the certainly in the Colorado area, but uh, you know, like you say, North America. As I dubbed him as Mister Sweet Spot. I don't know if he liked that, but probably not. Being a big part of you know the popularity of Sweet Spot training, and so we talk about you know anytime there's articles, there's you know podcasts about stuff. It gets sort of simplified, and you don't really know what Frank actually does. So. What I, I like to do when I talk to other coaches is sort of get a sense of how they use things and plan that, periodize that into a year. So I think for a lot of you out there who are reading, you know, these sort of simplified, almost clickbaity articles, you know, threshold versus polarized, which I actually have one titled that on my blog if you want to click on We stuff. also have a podcast titled that on the we podcast We do, several. Website. And so, I mean, it's a popular topic right now because it, it is, they're, they're at opposition, but they're also not that opposed. And so we talk about how you plan that through the season in a typical periodized fashion and how, you know, sort of the, the pitfalls of just training generally. So I think for a lot of us who are running into, you know, you're plateauing or you've been doing sweet spot or you've been trying polarized or you don't know what the difference is, there'll be a lot here. And we also just talk a lot of good cycling, a good a lot of good training information today with Frank. He's a super smart gentlemen um, we talk about motor pacing which is a new concept for a lot of us and sort of how that applies and where we might use it uh, and yeah. yeah it's it's great because it's not so it's not so deep in the science I know sometimes when we talk to coaches and experts it gets kind of uh, theoretical versus practical but I think there's a ton of really practical stuff in here yeah so I think you know whether you're just getting into cycling or you've been in for a while I think there's a lot of good info in here for you yeah, I think so. I think it's, you know, for, if you're coming into it, maybe just your, we'll leave you with the, the concept of, you know, polarized is very easy training or like full out sprint, you know, VO2, you're really breathing really hard and you would do a little bit of that really hard stuff, really quality intervals. And then everything else would be very easy or, or not even necessarily very easy, but in honest endurance where you're not breathing really hard. And then the threshold model of training would be everything sort of only training in the middle or mostly, in my opinion, training in the middle. You're still need to have off days and, and some endurance days, but your main intensity is that middle zone. So just under that threshold, but harder than that endurance. So with that very general definition, we'll let Frank explain it a little better than that. I, I try and not rehash too much of what people have done in especially recent podcasts and articles. I'm sure they're, we're going to definitely do a bit, but um I really like the amount of nutrition and lifestyle stuff you tie in um, yeah. to, to the, you know, and I think it maybe gets overlooked and I don't know if you agree with that, but you're, you're sort of known as the sweet spot guy. <laughs> but I, when I, I was like, no, nah, he seems more like, which I would say similar for me, you know, up this like sort of holistic, like as masters athletes, you need to be healthy, body composition, this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think, um, me personally, I've moved on from Sweet Spot because I've been prescribing it for like 13, 14 years now. Um, I think people you know, just had a heart attack. Yeah. Mr. Oh, Mr. Sweet Spot has moved on. Yeah. yeah, well, you know what I mean. In terms <laughs> of like what I'm advocating, I, uh, you know, I came out with the first Sweet Spot article in Ju- July of 2005 on, on Pez Cycling News of all places. And uh, I remember I was at Super Week racing – racing you know super week every every day and i I turned that article into the editor and they they kind of sort of hacked it up 
and and it was it kind of was that was a tough one to push through because um, it was so new and they didn't get it and I was so biased on just how awesome it was and I finally got it published after much editing to my chagrin and uh, yeah I had I just have been I've been prescribing it to athletes ever since and I didn't you know I guess you know Vela News has picked on it picked up on it and done some videos and bike radar and and I think it's just because it's open source and we share it and I never tried to like trademark or you know own it or anything it's always been about just educating everyone sweet spots become like I mean it's just it's that's standard information in the coaching world I think mm -hmm. and uh it was interesting Vela News recently kind of revisited it a couple years ago with a podcast and I've seen like an uptick in popularity at least on, on like especially with the the sweet spot versus polarization debate right okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna pause everyone and say for the non-coaches out there that haven't <laughs> heard of sweet spot who maybe you know wrote for cyclocross magazine and bicycling and haven't maybe seen all of that stuff in velo news could you explain <laughs> what sweet spot is sure sure so sweet spot is is First and foremost, it's a training intensity, 84 to 97% of the athlete's uh, FTP, functional threshold power. And so we can prescribe sweet spot intervals, sweet spot by, by wattage, by heart rate. Um, in one of the original articles that I wrote, it, sweet spot was also a style of training. I uh, would tell people to go out and sweet spot for 90 minutes, and it kind of wound up being like an old school fart lick where they just go out and just ride hard using their power meter or their heart rate in until they got tired. And so they'd start off on the high end and then as they got fatigued, they would just gradually creep towards like zo high zone two and then they'd be done. And I would just tell athletes to go out and do as much as you can. And when it got really hard, stop. And, uh, but yeah, that, that's sweet spot. And so it's in between, uh, zone three and zone four, so tempo and threshold. And the the number one thing going about why we call it the sweet spot is you can do a lot of volume, a lot of it, and then the recovery that's required from this style of training is not as much as if you did like threshold or VO2s, and it allows you to do more cumulatively day after day as opposed to like drilling it in threshold intervals and then being tired the next day and not being able to get in as much training. So it's a great way to build up one's base. Right. And, and get a lot of work. So it's become popular with sort of the, the t I could say time limited for trademark reasons, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. athletes, right? And so it's, they, they, they can do more work in, in the time they have. Correct. It's a wonderful way to, I, you know, to make TSS if you're into the, power-based vernacular, you know, that in training peaks. Yeah, I think it's also probably popular with masters. And I mean, I would say from someone like myself who maybe doesn't love going super hard, that feels like it's a hard enough thing that I could do, but like not so hard that I just will ignore it on my training. Yeah, it's really easy on the head mentally. It doesn't take a big mental match to go out and do sweet spot intervals, whereas threshold, when you have to go as hard as you can, there's all this pressure and it's that's much more difficult and that um, requires less like energy. Mm -hmm. 
And it's, yeah, we, we had another episode with sort of my mentor, Steve Neal, who's a, a coach up here and his tra- we always called it tempo, but honestly, it's, we're talking the same language in terms of durations and intensity from wattage perspective. Um, and, and he was of the opinion that, um, you know, a lot of athletes, especially these masters athletes are so, you know, they have a lot going on mentally, you know, long days at work, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes you actually can't, they can't achieve the actual threshold work yeah. you're looking for the, the VO2, the anaerobic, um, you know, so it's almost, it's not even necessarily a discussion because it's in some cases the only option. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't drill it every day. So sweet spot is a lot of days in the, like, you know, like you can do three or four days of sweet spot within a week versus mm-hmm. one day of threshold, if, if at all. Right. Right. And, and you have a couple articles again, we'll try and link to this for everyone so they can do some, some research and actually sort of go through, but we'll try and sort of get through this. Like often, like, would you say for a, you know, 40 year old type masters guy, you know, training, would there, what would be the most you'd see? Like if they have a, you know, decent amount of fitness and stuff, like would they be doing it two hours worth of sweet spot in a, in a week or like what, what sort of range would you see? Yeah. I, I would, the way I design like a master's athlete, 40 plus training plan is, um, rest day Monday at work. And then Tuesday they'll do sweet spot and it can be anywhere from an introductory, like 20 minute workout if they're, you know, early on in their base training. Um, or it could be upwards of 60 minutes, like a four by 15, depending on if they're far along in their, their fitness and able to kind of push. And, uh, you know, that this might be mid to, to late base build type, type of interval workout. And then, um, most of the time I, I use what I call a fatigue dependent training plan design model. And, uh, some great articles on that. They're really good. A couple of them. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'll have them do sweet spot on Tuesday, then go with the grain of their fatigue and have them do a little bit lower wattage on Wednesday. So that would be tempo. And then going along with the grain of fatigue as they get more tired, just have them default into a zone two rod on Thursday. And then rest on Friday. And then the, then the, there's the weekend. And this is especially applicable you know, to tomorrow, it's like Saturday, it's like the, it's like the cyclist holiday. And everyone's going to go out and presumably do a big ride or do their team ride. And what it becomes is, is a giant sweet spot session. And it, you know, if you instruct the athlete to do that, so I'll tell athletes to do anywhere from 60 to 120 minutes of sweet spot work. You know, if you're obviously a higher level master's athlete, you can do more versus maybe you're one to two years into your cycling, you might do a little less. But what I do is is uh, say, okay, let's do 60 minutes this Saturday of sweet spot work and then uh, you know analyze that data, actually quantify it, and say let's do 30 minutes more next Saturday and let's try to do 30 minutes more the following Saturday. So everything is a progression from where they can start, start at and feel comfortable. And uh, you know – I think the upper end of sweet spot is, uh, 
I think the, uh, you know, Perry Roubaix is pretty much six hours at Sweet Spot. Um, well, I think Matthew Heyman's power file from the Roubaix a couple years ago is like 300 watts for five and a half hours, which was Sweet Spot for him. So, you know, that that's like the upper limits of what the, the you know, a human can do. And uh, it's all a progression, you know, if you just quantify it and apply a little bit more the following week and the following week. Gotcha. So one thing that I've, and I think we're on the same page, but I guess I just want to think through this and see if it sparks anything. If you have, you know, this, I guess, Matthew Heyman or, or Phil Guyman, um, mm-hmm. who you've coached mm-hmm. as well. We should point that out for folks who don't know you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, we were riding together last week. Did a lot of sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> right, and and he goes up hills relatively quickly, so there must be something to uh, doing a little bit of that. A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so now you have a Phil Guyman type person. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a very high threshold, very high fitness. So their zones then would be wider right so if we're taking percentages off of 400 watts versus you know a big you know a, a novice type athlete who's maybe got a 200 watt threshold uh-huh so then their sweet spot is quite small right so the difference between tempo and threshold would be very little does that make yeah. sense like the the precision that you have to pedal with correct um, and i've always found it almost ironic that someone like phil who could probably hit if you told him 400 watts exactly he would pedal at 400 watts exactly but someone at the lower level who's new to power and riding steady has to hit, you know, a fairly narrow range. I've found that to be like a cruel irony. Yeah. Like I'm just doing the math right now. If you're, if your FTP is 200 Watts, your sweet spot range is 168 to 194, which is, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty shallow. It's pretty, it's a small range and there's a lot of overlap with tempo anyway. Right. So yeah, it, I do train by, you know, I, I use the percentages pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that makes sense. I think it's, you know, you, you also see it at that level, like it's, it's really got to get out and ride right when it's the lower th- threshold. Whereas for someone like Phil or something like that, then the precision mm-hmm. becomes more and more important. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, well, I would say precision is probably more important, the, the, the narrower the range for the lower wattage athlete. And, um, you know, Phil does a lot of training by feel. A lot of pros do a lot of training by feel. And, uh, sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, go out and ride. And if you feel good, do threshold work. Or if you don't feel good, do sweet spot. But if you feel kind of poor, Maybe do tempo, and if you feel really poor, maybe it's not your day, and just keep resting. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and a, lot, a lot of feel going on. And, and do you think that, that that obviously comes with experience, right? And, and I think that's when you you if we're gonna just keep calling you Mister Sweet Spot, which I apologize for. Um, <laughs> that's what sometimes gets missed in an article or something like that, right? It's you you only give people Sweet Spot seven days a week, every oh, day, yeah. every day of the week, every single month, yeah. every single you know no there's no phases in your training there's no off days um mm-hmm. which obviously is not the case right yeah correct i mean and that that really didn't come to my like realization until i did this uh 
um, a fast talk podcast with um, the folks over at Velenus. It's a wonderful podcast, great topic, but they they were like sweet spot or polarized in zone two, and I had to like Google polarized training and look it up and to understand what it, what they were talking about, and and I really do both. I mean, it. I think a well designed training plan has you know, has sweet spot and zone two together and they, they work in tandem for what's right for the athlete on, on a particular day. And that's, that's the, the, you know, that was the inspiration for that. Um, for those two articles I sent you, you know, the, uh, sweet spot versus zone two training plan design, and then also the fatigue dependent training plan design. And I guess people were thinking I never prescribed zone two and that's, uh, so far from the truth. I mean, I most athletes will do at least two days of zone two, like polarized style training, and then um, equally uh, two days of sweet spot training, and uh, like a group ride in there, and in uh, one tempo workout midweek. At least when they're building in the off season, like working on their base. And, and I was going to say that's the next important point. Then is that you're also, of course, using periodization. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a few of the articles that I actually found first, when I sort of just did a quick Google, I was like, I'll just read up here on what Frank's got out there. Um, you know, we're actually some of the more like peaking and in season and like, how do you go from your base season to a mountain biker base season to a crit? And, you know, most mm-hmm. of your article was talking about, you know, micro intervals or short intervals, anaerobic intervals, you know, stuff way, well above threshold. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I'm working on a new article right now. I'm titling "Switching from Base to Race," and uh, I'm I've, I've always been a big advocate of race specific intervals and matching and designing the interval workouts you do to meet the power demands from the races which you are training for. And so, like I, I my approach is I just drive an athlete's CTL, their chronic training load, up as much as I can in their build phase, like using sweet spot and zone two. And uh, then when they get, you know, two to six weeks out from their first race of the season, I, that's when I, I do what I call the switch from base to race. And then we start doing full gas race specific power output intervals. So like you mentioned, mountain bike intervals, mountain bike is just so anaerobic. So they do a lot of um, anaerobic work, um, Tabata's, um, yeah, maybe some VO twos if we have time. And then for the road racer, it's a lot of, you know, if they're a crit racer, a lot of anaerobic work also one minuteers, 30 seconders, Tabata's are always great. And, um, you know, for the time trials, it's like the, the classic two by 20 or the 10 minute super threshold intervals. Um, yeah, th- so, so that they can prepare specifically for the, the types of, of races they're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, trying to get, we're, we've spent uh, a while here now on the, the more sciencey side of it, but I think that yeah. practical, you know, I think, and we have listeners who aren't only cyclists too, but I think some of the interesting stuff that you do as well, which, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's obvious, but I think it's it's so obvious that most people don't do it. But you talk about, you know, you're going to do a 30-minute time trial, so you're going to do two by 15-minute intervals. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do it maybe on a similar course and maybe there's a little punchy 30 second effort. And so you mm-hmm. talk about building those race specific efforts, you know, for that, that race period. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a big difference between a 30-minute flat time trial and the workouts that you would design versus a 30-minute hilly time trial and the workouts that you would, uh, you know, design. Um, not that it's a subtle difference, but you might as well train specifically for what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. And then the other piece that I like in in some of your work on the the sort of peaking, and I assume this this upcoming article we'll talk about too, but the importance of sort of the the rest and the lifestyle piece, um, you know, especially for masters as as we get to peaking. I always say the sort of the the working person's peak is in some ways almost more around sort of the the getting the lifestyle stuff so that it's not going to interfere. And I don't know if you battle with that as well, but like things like just, you know, work gets really stressful that week or, you know, they didn't tell family they were going to, you know, lay around the house and disappear (laughs) for four days. Um, So so can you talk a bit about the lifestyle side of sort of that race period? You know, those those two big races of the season, they're going to, you're going to really focus on. I have this phrase I call monk mode and uh, I bring it up with the athlete well in advance, but I tell them six weeks prior to their A event, you got to go into monk mode. And what that is, you just, for those six weeks, you got to live like a monk, eat, ride, sleep. And you have to minimize stress. You know, you have to tell your family about it. You know, there, if you are able to control your schedule at work, you know, put off those projects until after those six weeks. Or, you know, get them done before those six weeks. Um, You know, if you're shooting for a national championship, you know, obviously no Disney family vacations um, if you have the option to. Again, that seems obvious, but very common. Very (laughs) common. Oh, my gosh. Like, yes. But it's a vacation. What's that? But it's a vacation. It's going to be yeah, so relaxing. Yeah, but like, in, so the six weeks though, and then it's like, yeah, and I'm going to take two weeks off uh, a week out. But yeah, yeah. no, no, <laughs> that monks do not do that. And uh, you have to just, my other expression is similar. I call it DEFCON 1. You just got to go into DEFCON 1. If you remember that movie War Games and, uh, <clears throat> it, you know, those are, if you've been training all year for an event, those are six weeks out of the year where you've put in tons of work. And if you can just really focus up, then, um, you know, you're going to be all set. But a lot of things can be unraveled, um, you know, in a lifestyle way. Like if something blows up with work, you know, you get in a fight with, it, you know, with your better half, um, you know, uh you know, all sorts of things come up. But one thing you can control is your training and your racing and your nutrition and your training plan and your sleep. And, you know, during monk mode, that's like a time to maybe, if you haven't been getting massage, to get, you know, schedule a couple. If you've been getting it once a month, maybe go up and, and do it more. Um, you know, it's just a period of time to really get serious and, and double down and, and focus up on. Um, maybe it's the upcoming cyclocross season, you know, maybe it's masters nationals and, you know, for road, you know, anything that you're focusing on it, it's that time of, to really, uh, you know, win in the kitchen, um, you know, get, go to bed earlier. Um, all the, all the things that we write and, and talk about. I like that you said you can control your nutrition. And I was just writing about this for even myself, but I think I see it a lot with 
a lot of other athletes where they'll say they can't control their nutrition because of, you know, X, Y, Z outside factors. So, you know, we were just over at friends for like a family dinner and, you know, you start, you, you get the third glass of wine because someone poured it for you. And then I'm going <laughs> home being like, oh, well, I couldn't help it. Like she poured it for me. It didn't really have an option. And then, yeah. you know, a day later, I'm like, wait a second. Like, I am a, I am a competent human being. I think I could have said no to that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we there are a lot of people that would argue they don't have control over their nutrition. What do you say when someone, you know, kind of has that mentality? It's, yeah, you know, you ha- it's a delicate, uh, you have to be persuasive and it's a, it's delicate and, uh, uh, you just have to kind of convince them. Other words, I try to get athletes motivated and psyched up to, um, a, you know, live a certain way. And, uh, you know, so if they're, maybe I'll, you know, talk to them about, uh, going to the grocery store and actually doing the shopping themselves and, you know, having that grocery list and, you know, uh, choosing super healthy, nutritious foods to bring home and maybe slide them a recipe of something to cook and, and all that. And, you know, I'll talk to like the 25 year old about, you know, making his, uh, recovery, uh, snack to have in the car after he goes to the race, because, if I don't, he's going to wind up at, you know, Burger King after the race, mm-hmm. you know, completely famished. And it, it that won't even be a choice. But if you plan for it, if you bring, you know, you know, make the sandwich or the burrito, um, put it in a cooler, have it waiting for you in a car, um, things like that. Or, you know, I, I coach this one physician right now. He's um, he's on call frequently. And uh he is stocking his on-call refrigerator to, with vegetables and fruit and healthy snacks to consume, you know, at two in the morning when he's working. And uh, we, we make fun of it. He snapped me a picture of his refrigerator the other day because his other doctor friends are making fun of him. And <laughs> they're jealous because they wish they weren't eating out of a vending machine. And mm. uh but he's got control of it, and you know. But I mentioned it, but I'm like, hey, maybe go get a sweet set of Tupperware <laughs> at a at a, the the a Bed Bath and Beyond, and then you can chop up your vegetables and put it in there and take it to work uh, with you uh, um, when you're on call. So little examples like that. Yeah, it's definitely like you say, it's delicate, and it's it's such a big thing, right? There's psychology, there's like the sociology of you know the home life and stuff tied into that, and sometimes it is this, you know something like those little like just getting Tupperware. Some people don't have Tupperware, right? So you can't make those leftovers, you know, or you can't use the leftovers, you know, if you're if you are indeed making extra chicken breasts and extra rice or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's, I, I've coined the phrase winning in the kitchen, and I got that from my mechanic friends in cyclocross who coined the phrase winning in the garage, you know, like gluing your own tubulars and, you know, dialing in your bike and bleeding your brakes and just, you know, making sure that your bike was going to support you on race day and you have no one else to blame if you don't finish the race, you know, if you had a mechanical. And they call that winning in the garage. And so I took that and I'm like, you can win in the kitchen. You just got to win in the grocery store. You actually have to do the shopping yourself. If, if you have 
a recipe. Like if you're, you know, if you're married with kids and your spouse does the cooking, you know, chances are you're not going to be that invested in, in your nutrition. Um, but if you go to the grocery store and actually shop for the ingredients and then you have a recipe, you're going to be more invested in what you eat. And um, that's a great way to like what I call win in the kitchen. I love that. Actually, um, sorry, Peter, I'm just interrupting you. Uh, Tom Hopper, the mechanic for Aspire Racing, always used to say, uh, luck favors the prepared. Yeah. So pretty much the exact same kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Apply to anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, in, in you know, Hopper, pr- you know, prides himself on, uh, you know, Jeremy's never had a, a I can't even recall the last time Jeremy had a mechanical. No, I got to work with Tom over the season, and the man is, like, the most prepared person ever. And, like, it was awesome being able to even – I'll call it apprentice a little bit under him. But, like, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. He comes and does a tech talk at our, our our Jeremy Powers cyclocross camp every year, and it just blows people's minds, the level of uh, – the depth of which he goes into and just the knowledge of, of – you know, of all the little tips and tricks. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so like, it's like seeing anyone who's, you know, professional at something. Like we had a chain break, actually not on Jeremy's bike, but, um, (laughs) thankfully, but we, and I was just like, uh, so caught off guard. And then Tom, like, he's just like, he puts on his gloves and then he's like fixing this chain and you know, it's cyclocross isn't like mountain bike. You have a bit of time to do it, but still he had like four minutes to change the chain. And it's just like backpack, it's unzipped, chain comes out, you know, if his gloves go on, chain goes mm-hmm. on he tightens the chain he's like a surgeon in the er it was exactly <laughs> like well where you we use surgeon's gloves too yeah. um but all that to say you know one thing that i like to say is that you know our goal for race is to make it so that it's just about pedaling and and a lot of these things you're talking about are things you know i feel like a lot of masters athletes especially just focus so much on the pedaling you know sweet spot mm-hmm. sweet spot sweet spot you know, mm-hmm. and they're missing these other things that you're talking about or <coughs> whoever's talking about, right, that actually can have a huge, you know, if we're all five to 10 pounds overweight, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like that sweet spot's going to get pretty buffered down, right? Any of that benefit if we're carrying around extra weight. Oh, yeah. I mean, with it, it's everything you do at the, it and on the performance level. And a couple, maybe it's about a month ago, I pulled my coaching friends to on a article I wrote, Seven Habits of Successful Masters Cyclists. I was inspired by that book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And uh, we came up with uh, seven things, you know, like they go to bed earlier, you know, they ride in the morning, you know, they win in the kitchen, they recover well, Um, you know, some other um, things were Colby Pierce, a, a super coach here, you know, said they lift weights, they, you know, do resistance training. And, uh, Adam Meyerson said they do intervals, but he, he related it to, he does less intervals at a higher quality than more intervals at a lower quality. And that evolved too. I believe I read that today actually, but he said that it like when he was pro, he did more and now he does less, but he focused on quality and doesn't stress as much about the overall volume, right? Like he makes sure he gets those key workouts in. Yeah, because most master cyclists have also been 20, 20, 30 year old cyclists. So they're, they know what they used to be able to do. And that's the mindset is I want to just get back to that. I want to be able to do six VO2 intervals. And uh, now I, 
I work it in where I have masters athletes do like four, four really good ones instead of six, six ones at 95%. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I, I, I do like VO2 stuff. I work mostly with mountain bikers, but, um, I came from doing a ton of, again, sort of tempo or, or even sweet spot stuff as sort of the base of that. So without pigeonholing myself into Mr. Tempo, but I guess Mr. <laughs> tempo and Mr. Sweet spot are talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> But all that to say, I think the skill, like the skill of pedaling really steady at sweet spot, you know, especially if you're going to be doing marathon or the skill of standing up and smashing a mountain bike climb for a VO2, irregardless mm-hmm. of whether we agree or disagree on the physiological benefits, right? There's a certain skill, a race skill there that if you can't stand and smash a three minute climb on your mountain bike, it's going to be pretty hard to win a mountain bike race. Yeah. Yeah. Without a, I mean, without a doubt, you got to. That's yeah. That's a a custom design workout right there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, did well, you have anything else on nutrition? I was just going to say, since we're talking nutrition and lifestyle, before we started recording this, you mentioned a certain gadget that you've been into lately that's kind of focusing more on the recovery side of things. So yeah, I feel like we yeah. need to talk about this. Yeah. So it's um it's called a whoop w h o o p and uh it I, I I use the analogy, it's like a power meter for my recovery. And back, because I'm, I'm having the same realizations and light bulbs go off right now with the, the new usage of my whoop that I did with uh, a power meter, you know, back in like, you know, 2000s, uh, 2000 when I first got my first SRM. And it's, it's, if you've heard that expression, you can't manage what you don't measure and you can me- you can manage what you can measure mm-hmm. that that's what the whoop is and that's why it's like a power meter and um i'm going to butcher this probably if anyone from whoop is listening <laughs> but uh it so it's a it's a band you wear around your wrist and it um measures your heart rate 24/7 and it uh records your strain from your training during the day and you know quantifies that and then it <clears throat> measures your resting heart rate um, and it measures your HRV and HRV training is new sports science it's been around for a couple years maybe longer but there's a lot of people using HRV and <clears throat> so your whoop takes and oh so in addition to measuring your your heart rate and heart rate variability um, it measures your sleep big time like, like I've, if you've used a Fitbit or a Garmin um, watch, it'll say, you got <clears throat> eight hours of sleep. Well, the whoop me- tells you, okay, you were in bed for nine hours, but you actually only slept for seven and a half hours. And of that seven and a half hours, you know, you were awake 75 minutes. You had this much REM sleep. Um, it measures something called SWS, like your deep sleep how many times you were disturbed and got up or woke up and like sleep cycles. So it's, it's very, very way beyond what a Fitbit will do in, in terms of, you know, measuring your sleep. And so it takes your strain, your heart rate variability, and then the quality of your sleep And it. The end result is it gives you a recovery score and there's three types. Uh, basically it's like a stoplight red 
uh, yellow and green. So green is good. That's when you, it's like 66% and higher. And that's, that's your goal to get in the green. That's like a hashtag they have. And the middle is yellow and then red is low recovery, meaning you're probably not going to have a good day of training. And a lot of times your recovery is just merely a function of how much training you've been doing. Like if you go out and do two four hour rides on Saturday, Sunday, not surprisingly, your recovery is going to be low, like on Monday morning. No, and no surprise. It's like, Hey, I got a recovery day in here already. And then what you want to see is that you go back up into the green on Tuesday and what the, the whoop will do that's been eye-opening for me is first of all, well, HRV has been the most eye-opening thing. And I noticed when I had a beer or a glass of wine that my HRV went down and my recovery scores were low. And when I stopped, my HRV went back up and my recovery, my recovery scores are high. So I haven't been drinking that much lately because I've been really into my whoop and I'm recovered. <laughs> and uh, like just last night, my girlfriend, you know, came home. She's in a great mood and she, you know, had a glass of wine and she called me fun, fun sponge because I wasn't having a glass of wine with her. Oh, I but, feel like uh, I say that a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> but so, okay, so check this out. Other things that make my HRV go up and down, which I had no idea. Um, yoga and, and I talked to some of the HRV people and they're saying it's mostly, um, the, the breathing. And when I go to yoga at night, um, or in the evening, like after work, I'll usually report a high HRV score the next morning. And then that'll correspond to a high recovery score from the, from the whoop. So, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I've been doing yoga for a number of years, but that just kind of validates, um, how yoga is a you know a useful tool for your recovery yeah it's it definitely helps too i guess if you're trying to sell yoga to someone to you know to an <laughs> athlete trying to do it right like i think for a lot of busy athletes that's something that at least you know breathing or or the meditative side of it but you're also just not staring at your phone or, or riding your bicycle for an hour right and yeah it should be beneficial yeah um, for sure i mean it's so much better than just riding your bike seven out seven days a week and then on one day you just ride less and less hard i think you know right. you can do other better recovery activities uh i have one follow-up about the whoop does it do you mm -hmm. put anything like uh what's the word i'm looking for like qualitative in there like you, you feel bad today you're yeah you you are taking like some sort of survey of metrics with it yeah it's amazing the app that it comes with um pulls you every morning um, let me see if I can remember my, like just the questions I get asked. So it'll ask you, uh, did you have, did you work on a screen in bed last night? Did you share your bed? Did you have any alcoholic beverages? Are you sore? Um, how's your stress? Uh, do you feel rested? Things like that. Nice. And, um, that all goes into part of their, their algorithm. And, uh, like, it asks you your energy level, not, you know, soreness level, stress level, if you're feeling sick or not. Cause a lot of times, like I got the flu like three weeks ago and the day before I got it, my HRV was like in the tank. And, uh, 
sure enough, I woke up the next morning. I'm like, yep, I'm sick. And um, my HRV was super low for the whole time I had the flu. And then when it started to get go back up, lo and behold, I, my flu symptoms um, um, subsided. That's so, awesome. It sounds like a cruel because it's, it's pretty much automated and it's it's buzzing at you to take the the survey in the morning, so you don't really have to make a lot of decisions on your own. That's right. Yeah, yeah, because it records all the time, and in the morning you want to wake up and see your recovery score, so you, you want to input your right. your sensations. Okay. Yeah, we've been using the HRV for training app, which lets you put your finger onto your camera phone uh, yeah. and get HRV, and it works. It's slick, and my favorite thing about it is that it t- does the survey after the reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had really good luck with that, but I do like that this one that you're talking about is sort of automated and throughout the day and you're getting that nice sleep sort of recovery heart rate measure well, too. Put it on your Christmas list. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So no, wait, I think, can, um, can this data there's... upload to training peaks? Oh. That's the big question. Unfortunately not. Oh, and they haven't opened up a... the API yet. Yeah. Bummer. That's a real chafe because I have um, other athletes that have gotten on, hopped on board of the Whoop, and for right now we just have to do a manual upload. And yeah. because uh, what I found, but, I mean, you probably have similar frustrations with select athletes not like putting enough comments and stuff in, right? And enough just mm-hmm. that that sort of soft data, right? Like the how do you feel today? Are you stressed? So the nice thing about HRV for training is it pushes to that metrics window in training peaks and yeah. they can also put in, an, they call it annotations, but it goes into the notes in the metrics window. So now yeah. I'm getting way more information on top of, you know, the auto uploads from Garmin or whatever. Yeah. I have an athlete that's using the HRV for elite app and um, it's nice because it just goes right up there in training peaks and you can look at, you can even set up a chart, you know, to measure trends and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah that would be uh, one of my biggest wishes of the whoop and um but yeah, the app is amazing i guess if you're really interested you can just ask the athlete to share their whoop login and there is a, a web interface and you can just go in and look at their account that way i suppose okay they haven't made any sort of like coach interface um, they have a, what's called a team interface. Like if you're on a team, cause what the, what people seem to be mostly concentrated on like NFL, NHL, NBA, gotcha. you know, baseball. And that's where that I've heard. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so they're, they're kind of on this like team thing where like a whole team will have access. And I guess, I guess there's a coach going in there and looking at that. Okay, well, hopefully they're going to send you some new stuff and some new products and send some more whoops to you for that that sort of advertising you've given them. <laughs> I think but, we're going to end up buying two. Yeah, well, so. we will for sure. Yeah. So, um, they're pricey, so yeah. <laughs> I think I did yeah. look at them, and I also was like, ah, I got this HRV for training, and Marco, the guy who made it, it's a pretty good dude, and I was like, I don't know, it's working pretty well. Um, but yeah. I, I do like the good gadgets. Um before we leave nutrition lifestyle, I wanted to get, and this can be fairly rapid fire. You don't necessarily have to explain it because it is nutrition and huh. everyone will okay. be upset no matter what. Um, where do you stand now with like these fasted rides? Um, I guess I'll leave that as a rapid fire. Are you, are you using fasted rides? Or are you not into that? No, no, not into that at all. Thank you. Good. Um, Let's just leave it there. Yeah, I yeah, like that. We're, we're done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it needs a lot more. Like I think, if, if I read into your articles and just what we've spoken and I've heard you on podcasts and stuff, like it's to me, the bigger struggle is people just eating reasonably, like you say, cooking, doing their 
they're cooking, mm-hmm. you know, fueling themselves appropriately. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. I, I experimented with keto, like a keto diet, um, a couple summers ago and it was terrible. I had no energy. All my training sucked. And, uh, my mindset was like, oh, just get through it. As soon as you, you know, become ketogenic and start burning fat, it'll all work out. And I never even got that far. It's just too much. And I don't think like a keto diet is a very, it may work for some athletes, but not for endurance athletes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm open-minded to, you know, certainly if there's any illness or, you know, they're talking about cancer and stuff like this, like that's fine, but that's somewhat irrelevant to this. Yeah. And I think, you know, they talk about the delicate stomachs or if you know you're not going to be able to eat because you're doing like some crazy ultra run across, you know, some remote country, you know, it'd be good if you could burn fat and not need, you know, a thousand gels with you. Um, Right. You know, when there isn't the option, but I don't know, it just seems... Like the downside, like the potential downside is just so big for some of the metabolic, you know, potential payoffs we're talking about. Well, the downside for me doing it is you'd get murdered in your sleep. So <laughs> it could be, yeah. it could be. It makes you grumpy as all get out. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's move past that. That then. was your only rapid fire. You just like faked him out with rapid fire. Yeah, I guess I don't. Did you have more on that? I, I mean, I don't I know. Think, I wasn't aware I think we, we covered most of it. He t- he brought up keto on his own, so he had the next rapid fire. Uh, yeah, I, right. I'll, so you eat carbohydrates. Can, we agreed. Yeah, I've been working with a, a nutritionist as of late. It's um Dr. Phil Guglia and uh, Guglia, and he I got turned on to him through um, Phil Gaiman's. Did a lot of work with him, and um he advocate. He's a brilliant guy. He's out in Hollywood. He's like kind of like the nutritionist for the Hollywood stars, and uh like Chloe and Kanye and, you know, Chris Pratt and, and you know, all that. <laughs> but he, he's got like a PhD in, in um, nutrition from Duke University. And I went out and visited him last week. Um, and he advocates a high metabolic diet. And he's got me eating more. And I can safely say with my whoop combined with my nutrition, my training is just accelerated. And every day you feel good on the bike. And you're eating more food to fuel your ride and you're working on changing your body composition through training and nutrition rather than dieting. And uh, it's pretty amazing. So he's the exact opposite of fasted rides. He like wants me, you know, eating, you know, high carbohydrate um, food two hours before and like a pre-workout cocktail and you know, gels during the ride with like sugar and then sugar and fat during the ride and sugar and caffeine to finish up the ride. So, um, it, it, that's a style of nutrition that, um, I think is beneficial to most endurance athletes. Yeah. And again, coming back to that off bike time being quality and regular and and vegetables and stuff, right. But then fueling, you know, the workouts like I've done, again, we come from this tempo background and I used to underfuel a lot and like I got pretty yeah. fit, but like you can't, you're not winning races. And I also got quite overtrained doing that as well, which I would say was not under or overtraining, but rather under fueling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still wasn't winning races despite my tremendous, <laughs> like I had endurance adaptations. Like I had yeah. a burly sweet spot, we'll call it, but um, you know, again, I'm not winning races. Right. So, yeah. 
Well, you know, it's like when, you know, when you do your tempo rides, when I have, when I prescribe sweet spot rides, like the long ones, I always tell athletes, it's like your ability to accomplish this workout is largely dependent on your nutrition. And you're going to have to bring nutrition with you and fuel that ride as you go along because you'll run out of energy and it's like a Ferrari coming to this, you know, the side of the road with an empty gas tank. Yeah. And I've seen it phrased in a way that you like, you will end up training in that if you're riding enough, like, or frequently enough that you'll end up training depleted at some point, like it's going to happen. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We all bonk and run out of food or, or you just can't keep up. This is two days of sweet spot in a row, right? Or, or two big, your two, four hour rides on the weekend, right? Like you're going to be tired, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of times your, your caloric expenditure exceeds the rate of gut absorption for calories per hour. And yeah, you run out. I mean, that's the number one, uh, thing for Ironman athletes is, is they have to actually race slower so that they can match their caloric expenditure to meet like the amount of energy they can absorb through their gut on a per hour basis. And, uh, yeah, that happens to us when we go out and do the four or five, six hour rides in the mountains, you just can't keep up on the bike. Yeah. And I feel like in, in addition to that, part that gets overlooked is you know that off-bike nutrition time where we're eating you know healthy fats you know we're leaving um i should say healthy meals with healthy fats and then leaving you know those three or four whatever hours between meals you know that gets overlooked and you know we're sort of just skipping that like sensible nutrition that's going to make you you know you have to burn some fat in that process of your day um, and so people sort of go between like full on sugar every hour, you know, trying to prop themselves up and then all of a sudden <laughs> we're all going to go keto, but that yeah. middle ground of like, well, why don't we just do some endurance and, you know, some well thought out training with some recovery days and eat regular timed meals with like decent food and just see how we roll like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. A sensible diet with, you know, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's shift gears. And I don't, we don't have a lot of time left here, but I thought we'd just touch on, we've never talked too much about motor pacing on the podcast and it's something that you speak a little bit about. So are you using that with master cyclists of all types or, or who's motor pacing for? Motor pacing is for anybody that is, wants to hit it. Um, super hard training, probably, you know, looking to, to win some bike races peak for certain events it's awesome. I mean, if I was in heaven um, and I had one workout to do with athletes, that it would be motor pacing. There's the most intimate form of coach-athlete training together. Because rarely do you as a coach get to train with your athletes. I mean, you, you ride with them, but doing intervals with them, mostly they're passing you, at least me, because they're faster than me. But when you're driving the scooter, you can see – you can see how much they're trying and I can tell it's so there's a lot of sports psychology going on when I see one of my athletes just turn himself inside out to keep up. Um, I know that they're, you know, going to be on for, for on race day. And on the other side of the coin, you know, the going gets tough and they give up, you know, 40 minutes in, you see that and, and you may, may need to work on, 
some other aspects of, of their training. But the, the neuromuscular work and going hard is tremendous. It, it, it's my favorite workout for just about any cyclist, even mountain bikers. I, I'd love to motor pace them more. Yeah, um, we, we did a bunch back in some of my my fastest years, um, and mm-hmm. it definitely like the the speed <clears throat> skill is important for mountain bike, like just pedaling quickly and under load. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're trying to win races, right? Like that, you're moving fast on a mountain bike. But the the suffer, like you say, and then the extra motivation to having like someone and your coach staring at you, like do not stop. You know, stay oh, on yeah. this wheel, right? Yeah, it's like Fight Club. You know, you don't talk about Fight Club and in motor pacing, you don't come off the wheel. There's right. no no if ands or buts. You must stay on that wheel. So now um, Molly has indicated that there should be some sort of safety precautions here. I'm just suggesting uh-huh. so that maybe we don't try this at we, home. We we and I I'm open to you disagreeing with me, but we always had <coughs> my coach at, back then who was Steve, uh, who I mentioned uh-huh. earlier. But we always had a like scooters only. Like there's no car drafting. How do you stand on yeah. that? Uh, no cars. That's not safe, and it's not not even it's not even realistic because a car puts up such a huge draft that the athlete you wind up going like forty miles an hour, and that's unrealistic. That's it's too big of a draft, and you see it over in Europe where you know whole teams will do two up pacing, and it's just unrealistic. But it's it's got to be a scooter. It even motorcycles they're too fast. They jump and. Um, the shittier the motor the scooter is, usually the better it, it's going to behave like a bike. And right. I just, you know, when I'm teaching a new coach how to motor pace, I just tell them, imagine your Yen's Voigt on the front of the Peloton and you just want to keep your momentum up. And you have to dial back on the throttle when you go up a hill and then you accelerate as you crest that hill and go back down. So... I know, and that's what you use the mirror for. You make sure that the athlete is pedaling, and if they if they're coasting, you're you're under driving them. Right. So, yeah, you, you really accelerate on the downhill. That that's another um, huge thing in motor pacing. Okay, so people should be careful and have a crappy scooter, but a skilled driver is is a good thing to have. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, but in I think we have. Our current scooter has 31,000 miles on it. It's all motor pacing, not awesome. a single thing else. And I I ran another scooter into the ground before that, so that's probably another 15. And I'm proud to say we've never had an accident. And you just you, – you, the driver has to pay attention and be alert. You go through a little safety talk with the athlete beforehand. Um, there is a couple of bailout rules just in case – a lot of people ask me if I use a roller bar, and the answer is no. And uh, that's more for track. And uh, I don't think the athletes should be banging up against a roller bar anyway. Um, no. And and really, I mean, if the athlete stops pedaling for a millisecond, it's like a three foot gap instantly. And so, really, you as a motor pace driver, all you need to remember is never ever let up on the gas. You can accelerate and create some distance between you and the athlete, but never let up on the gas unexpectedly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, All excellent d- and d- terrifying points. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess in, in theory, I just I'm interested. Do you think that e-bikes are going to provide a, a new opportunity for this? 
Yeah, probably. I was on a group ride a couple weeks ago, and there was an e-bike on it. And, uh, yeah, that guy lined it up and drilled it for a little bit. It was kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's like a dirty in the track, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it'll depend, too, on the governor, right? Because, like, if you have someone who's pretty fit, Mm -hmm. you're going to go pretty fast. I don't know how, like, e-bikes are still governed for the most part pretty, like, not that fast, right? Like, they're not going. miles an hour-ish. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Most of them are under 30 miles an hour for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to be fast enough for someone like a pro level athlete. Um, but for a, most athletes can cruise at 27, 33 miles an hour on flat terrain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Frank, we've kept you long enough. We appreciate you humoring us. Um, you're at FastCat on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's at, at FastCat on Twitter, at FastCatFH. Frank Hudson on uh, Instagram. Gotcha. Uh, website? And the website is just fastcat.com. Coaching. Coaching.com. We'll link to yeah. all that. Fastcat coaching. And it's not fast. It's F-A-S. Cat. That's right. We're so fast, we have to drop the T to make it fast cat. <laughs> I was wondering if there was an elaborate story behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just made it up, you know. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, this is a whole other topic. We don't need oh to get boy. into this. But naming of coaching businesses, I always sort of, because there's always the like pop-up coaching, like uh, someone's doing yeah. it on the spare time. And then just the names that some of them come up with. is. Yeah. So-and-so systems or my name coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. The my name coaching is odd. Did you ever do that or did you go right to uh, like a, a separate business name? I went straight to Fast Cat, and uh, the reason why is like, I I was like, oh, I need a logo. I need to, uh, you know, come up with something. And um, I can't. My friend, I asked him. For, I was like, what what would represent, uh, you know, being fast? And it was like the cheetah. It's the fastest land mammal in the world. And I'm like, oh yeah, cheetah. And then next thing I know, I have like a sweet like image of a cheetah running and pivoting that a friend of mine had and uh he gave it to me and so then it was like okay we're gonna call ourselves fast cat coaching and my nickname in the 90s with some of my racing buddies was fast cat frank they you know you know how you you get called like a cool cat maybe back in like the 60s right (laughs) (laughs) like he's a cool cat and they were just calling me a fast cat okay and i took that and uh use that to become fast cat coaching along with the cheetah Okay, well there like you go. It. So if you're if you're trying to name a business, it doesn't have to be coaching. I'm gonna pick. <laughs> Probably on coaches, don't go but... with your high school nickname. That's usually not well, a good idea. I mean, if it ties in, but like think about what type of animal. Yeah. Or like what what's that logo gonna look like? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, I, I tell I tell people now the cheetah is my spirit animal. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Molly's dachshundcoaching.com. This is going to be my yeah. new one. Wieners. I don't know where we're going to go with <laughs> nope, that. Nope, nope. Let's leave it there. Frank, thank you so much. I hope our paths cross soon. Um, enjoy too. enjoy that balmy Colorado weather. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hey, guys. Before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. That's C-A-P-O-D. 
for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.